October 24th, 2021. Ten minutes ago, Liverpool scored their fifth goal at Old Trafford. Mohamed Salah completed his hat-trick. It's an hour into the game. Paul Pogba is booked for a stupid challenge on Naby Keita. The decision goes to the video assistant and the card is upgraded to a red. It may well mark a new low in an era full of new lows in the recent history of Manchester United. During the game, the television cameras recording this game for posterity and for millions of pounds cut to a stone-faced Glaswegian who managed the club between 1986 and 2013. The camera then jumps to Sir Kenny Dalgleish, who was the Liverpool manager in 1986 and a decade later broke the hegemony of his mate Alex's domination of the new Premier League. Kenny's smile not only tells the story of the game, but of the entire point of the fixture's importance. Sir Alex Ferguson had undergone brain surgery in 2018. Now, weeks before he turned 80, he must have wondered what on earth the club he helped to win 13 Premier League titles would turn into next. Perhaps only Brian Clough has had more words written about him when it comes to managers in the English game than Alex Ferguson. Even then, it's a close-run thing. Both Clough and Ferguson won the European Cup. They were both from industrial backgrounds and both played as centre-forwards. Both are associated in the main with one club, where they created several dynasties and headlines. This series, broadcast in 12 parts over Christmas 2021 and presented by me, Johnny Brick of the Football Library, celebrates the 80th birthday of the man who was knighted for winning the UEFA Champions League in, predictably, stoppage time of the final. That period between the 90th minute and the full-time whistle, previously known as Time Added On, now carries Ferguson's name. Across the next 12 days, I intend to weigh Ferguson's taints and honours to make it more than the hagiographies which are sure to clog up the Christmas schedules. In fact, there's one on Amazon Prime right now, made in-house by Alex's son Jason and featuring his close family and the surgeons who operated upon him. Michael Crick, in his biography The Boss, says that Jason shopped a documentary to the BBC in 2002 but when he set up his own production company, the broadcaster pulled out after nine months of planning. Sir Alex Ferguson, colon, Never Give In, premiered in March 2021 at, suitably, the Glasgow Film Festival before enjoying a wider release in May. It is part of a wave of films about older managers, Bobby Robson, Arsene Wenger, the three Scottish kings of Jock Steen, Bill Shankly and Matt Busby, Brian Robson, Kenny Dalgleish, but Ferguson has the greatest international footprint. Smartly, the movie begins with a quiz. The name of the travel agent in Aberdeen is Harry Disaster Hines, which moves to the emergency of May the 5th, 2018, where Alexander Ferguson collapses. There'd better be nothing wrong with my memory, is what Ferguson said when he was told he'd had a hemorrhage, telling stories, Jason tells the camera, to convince himself that he's still got a memory. We then cut to portentous music and film of enormous ships being built at the Govan shipyard, the camera panning right up to the top deck. That history gets ingrained into you. In his second memoir, Ferguson brings up a meeting with someone who remembers him collecting money for striking dockers. It seems like a typical working-class industrial Scottish upbringing with hard work and strong values and watching Rangers at Ibrox. Ferguson lamented how these days we have more fragile human beings. They've never been in the shipyards, never been in a pit. 
By the time of Ferguson's final season in management, he was using players born in 1993. It was the era of social media and smartphones where components were put together abroad and imported for Britons. Whereas Ferguson was born in industrial Britain in the 1940s, his retirement has been spent in a post-industrial country. And Govan, Ferguson said, you never had a lot, but I wouldn't call it poverty. You always had your meals, you never missed school, you were always clean and tidy. He talks about the pubs he drank in. Sometimes I would come home with a split head or black eyes. That was pub life. When it became too exuberant or fights broke out, it was necessary to jump in to restore order. As a young man, Alec was fined £3 for a fray and went to jail, famously deciding to escape Govan by emigrating to Canada. But fate, the most important game of my life, occurred against Rangers in December 1963. And even then he didn't want to play. His manager caught him lying about having the flu and sent his mum a telegram. Ferguson was the first person to score a hat-trick for the away side at Ibrox. Don't miss an opportunity. You might only get one in life, is what the gaffer still tells people. The greatest day of young Alex Jr.'s life, his dad was called Alex Sr., was when he scored for Glasgow schools against Edinburgh schools. Rather than talk to the big club who had asked after him after the game, the lad just wanted to go to the movies. I had to be on my own. Ferguson's hero was Dennis Law. He copied Dennis's trademark of holding on to his sleeves as he played. Ferguson was invited to join the Drum Chapel amateurs who, like his dad, liked discipline, cleanliness, good timekeeping, no swearing and good sportsmanship. He turned 16 and joined Queen's Park, again, based at Hampden Park. Within a few years, he had joined Dunfermline, who reached the Scottish Cup final against Celtic in 1965. Ferguson had been Dunfermline's leading scorer that season, but was left out of the side for the final. His manager only told him in the dressing room the day of the game, and Ferguson learned a significant lesson about how to handle leaving players out. The team lost 3-2. The next season, he scored 45 goals in 52 games and was promised a move in 1967, by which time he had secured some coaching badges. Kenny Dalgleish, like his pal Alec, now a knight, Sir Kenny, dedicates a small chapter in his memoir to Ferguson, who often gave young Kenneth a lift into Glasgow. All I remember are Fergie's elbows. He wasn't a silky player. Fergie's friend John Grieg used to say Ferguson's boots were on his elbows, yet he manages to get teams to play with grace and flair and organisation. I thought he was a thug, says Cathy recalling when the pair first met, with a plaster over his face that made him look like a boxer. Cathy was a Catholic, while Alec was brought up Protestant, despite having a Catholic mum, which posed problems for him. His temper was volcanic, and in a more lenient era, he was sent off six times, when they didn't even have red cards. His driving skills, meanwhile, were white-knuckle rides, said his Aberdeen assistant, Pat Stanton. Ferguson moved to Rangers for £65,000, but disliked how he was treated, caught up in the usual mess that happens when the manager who signs him is fired. It didn't help that a loss at Ibrox to Aberdeen led to supporter unrest. Supporters kept the Rangers team in the dressing room. Paddy Barkley, in his biography of Ferguson called Football Bloody Hell, called the atmosphere diseased, although Ferguson did manage almost a goal every other game. 
Michael Crick's book, The Boss, also weighs pros and cons to explain, as the subtitle of the book says, the many sides of Alex Ferguson. At Rangers, he says, the hierarchical, highly disciplined and conservative club was hardly likely to accommodate a small-c conservative, was hardly likely to accommodate an opinionated trade unionist who had a habit of complaining about the slightest grievance. In the 1969 Scottish Cup final, Rangers played Celtic in a match that wasn't about football, he said. Worse, he let Billy McNeil go free at a corner, allowing him a free header, and the team lost 4-0. Ferguson never played for Rangers again, instead bombed out to the reserve. A move to Nottingham Forest, not yet managed by Clough, broke down, and so he moved across the city to Falkirk, whom he also represented on the TV show Quizball. It is quite something to see footage of Ferguson, as we see in the recent documentary, scoring goals, usually from inside the box. He is not chewing gum in the dugout or pointing at his watch or at a pitch. If anything, writes Michael Crick, Ferguson was more belligerent as a Falkirk player. He helped his new team to promotion at the first attempt. He was not club captain, which Crick found odd, but using his union background, he was the chairman of the Scottish PFA for three years. That was in his favour when Falkirk players defied the manager who took away some team expenses after a poor performance. After asking away from Falkirk, Ferguson headed to Air United, scoring a late winner against his old club and finishing his playing career in spring 1974 at the age of 32. 